Hi everybody, glad to be with you. Before I start, I just want to take a minute to say that I really am glad to be back. I've been away from my microphone for a couple of months and from my chances to speak with you. I want to say thank you to those of you who have reached out asking if everything is all right and why the long silence. Long story short, about the middle of last November, a family member who has had some medical issues for some time, well, those issues began to get dramatically more serious. If you've ever had to live with chronic pain yourself, or if you've watched over someone or cared for someone going through that, you know how this can really change everything. Late on Friday, January 14th, the weekend of the Martin Luther King holiday, we received a call. The surgery would be the following Tuesday. That was January 18th. And that day and the weeks after have been pretty much consumed with medical issues. I'm glad to tell you that my family member made it through the surgery and the early signs are all good. There's a long path forward, which we know will have its own ups and downs, but without this good first step, I just have to say nothing else good would have been able to come. So uh, we're grateful, especially to our wonderful doctor, but to all of the people around us, family and friends who have supported us, offered encouragement, and given us their prayers. Thank you, sincerely. There'll be more changes ahead for me and my family, but for now, on with the show. So, Justice Breyer retires. He made his announcement in late January after months of overt pressure from liberal advocacy groups and pundits urging him to take this step while the Democrats hold the presidency and control the Senate so that he could be replaced by someone with a similar judicial philosophy. These opinion pieces and media screeds had been met by Justice Breyer with stony silence or occasionally by opaque comments that could be read as, yeah, I hear you, and you are not the boss of me. But you know, here's the thing. There was no chance that Breyer would not retire while this Democratic president and Senate could replace him. First, you got to remember who the guy is and what he did before he became a judge. He was the Democratic counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. For all the big deal committees in Congress, each party, majority or minority, uh, they each appoint their own chief counsel to hold this job on the Judiciary Committee, which holds all the hearings on the nominations for every federal judge and on Supreme Court justices is not just a highly prestigious job, it is a party-appointed job. Breyer was about as deeply schooled as one could be in the political realities of the whole process, and he would never ignore that. Second, Breyer had the sad example of his good friend and colleague, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who stayed on the court through multiple bouts of cancer and then who ended up dying in office at a time when a president could replace her with a very different sort of justice, someone who actually bent on undoing some of Ginsburg's life's work. And I can't believe that Breyer 
would want that, and he could see that reality plainly as anybody else could. So there was no chance that he would not do this. He was just going to do it in his own good time and in a way that he thought was right and proper. So what do we make of Justice Breyer's tenure on the court? He was a moderate liberal appointed by President Bill Clinton, but above all, I saw him as a pragmatist, not an ideologue in any sense. He was not a justice who authored a lot of headline opinions either. By all accounts, uh, his work at the court seems to have been much lower key and often would have consisted of bringing his fellow justices into a majority or where he couldn't do that into a dissenting opinion. Now, we'll have a clearer picture of the workings of all of this stuff behind the scenes uh, years from now, after his papers are released. But when he did write for the court, whether in majority or in a dissenting opinion, that pragmatic side, a person with a strong loyalty to facts, to evidence, and to how the court's decisions would impact real people in the real world, that always showed up. And for me, I want judges who think that way. I want justices on the Supreme Court who think that way and decide cases based on the law and the evidence and less, shall we say, on pre-existing belief systems. Now, there are a lot of examples you can see uh, going through uh, last uh, couple of decades of opinions of Breyer doing this. Uh, one of my favorites from the field of criminal procedure where I do my work is from Hudson versus Michigan, in which Justice Scalia, uh, writing for the majority, argues for the abandonment of the Fourth Amendment exclusionary rule. That's the rule that says if the police violate the Constitution, you have to throw out the evidence. And Scalia argues for this based on, uh, my opinion here, misused quotes and a lot of ideologically based assumptions. And then in dissent, Breyer calls him out for making a, quote, support-free argument. Yeah. Um, so that's a great example. Um, maybe a little inside baseball. Uh, but So I, I think I'm going to give you another one uh, that maybe you've heard of and that I think will really come across. Okay. This one involves abortion. Um, everybody knows what a controversial uh, issue abortion has been since the Roe versus Wade decision and how uh, since the 80s and 90s, uh, states uh, have made all kinds of new laws attempting to restrict access to abortion. And the standard for reviewing cases in which states make abortion less available is the so-called undue burden standard of the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey from the mid-90s, in which the Supreme Court says states can regulate abortion. They simply cannot create a, quote, undue burden on the right of women to access abortion. So here we are in the mid-20-teens, so about six, seven years ago, Texas enacted a new anti-abortion law, new then, not the new one now that we're looking at in which they have restricted abortion even further. 
uh, but one that mandated that abortion clinics had to have facilities that matched surgical operating rooms, the, uh, the rooms in uh, ambulatory surgical care centers, and also had to have doctors who were not just medically licensed, but who had admitting privileges in local hospitals. The state of Texas gave a reason for this. It was necessary for the health and safety of female patients. That was the rationale for these restrictions. The combination of requirements and costs would simply put many clinics in Texas out of business, which was, of course, the intended result, even if not the spoken result. So the clinics turned around and sued, and the case worked its way up through the court system, eventually reaching the Supreme Court of the United States, which eventually resolved it. And Justice Breyer wrote the opinion the case was called Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstadt. Now, we all know, as I said, what a contentious, strident, even hateful minefield the right to abortion has become in the U.S. for many years. And here is the, uh, the Texas statute coming to the Supreme Court in 2016. And the question is, does the Texas law create an undue burden on the constitutional right of women to have an abortion? Breyer took the state of Texas at its word. It, this was supposed to be about protecting women's health and safety because abortion, Texas said, could threaten women's health. So I want to read you just a little piece of what Justice Breyer wrote for the majority in which he examined the evidence about the regulations from Texas that said that abortion clinics had to have the same kind of facilities as a surgical care center. Here's some of that language. Now, this is Justice Breyer's words as he considers the evidence in the record. Quote, There is considerable evidence in the record supporting the findings that the statutory provisions requiring all abortion facilities to meet all surgical center standards does not benefit patients and is not necessary. The risks are not appreciably lowered for patients who undergo abortions at ambulatory surgical care centers as compared to non-surgical center facilities. Women will not obtain better care or experience more frequent positive outcomes at an ambulatory surgical center as compared to a previously licensed facility. He goes on here, quote, the record makes clear that the surgical center requirement provides no benefit when complications arise in the context of an abortion produced through medication. That is because in such a case, complications would almost always arise only after the patient has left the facility. The record contains evidence indicating that abortions taking place in an abortion facility are safe, indeed safer than numerous procedures that take place outside hospitals and to which Texas does not apply its surgical center requirements. The total number of deaths in Texas from abortions was five in the period of 2001 to 2012, or about one every two years. That is to say, 
one out of about 120,000 to 144,000 abortions. Nationwide childbirth is 14 times more likely than abortion to result in death. But Texas law allows a midwife to oversee childbirth in the patient's own home. Colonoscopy, a procedure that typically takes place outside a hospital or surgical center setting, has a mortality rate 10 times higher than abortion. You get the picture. Ani goes with boring fact after boring fact after simple fact. It is not flashy. It is not going to uh, uh, be recalled in the annals of the law as the most impactful set of words ever. No ideology to speak of, just plain hard facts and evidence. And based on that, Justice Breyer said for the majority, Texas had not a leg to stand on. It had made these laws because of ideology, not evidence. It had created a burden for women and was undue simply because the burden had no relationship to what it said it was, tr it was there for. Now, the other thing I know about Justice Breyer is that he was engaged in the law as a way to protect our democracy and make our country function. And for him, the great argument of our time concerning the rule of law had him engaged in a years-long debate with his colleague, Justice Antonin Scalia. Now, Scalia, as you might know, was famously the chief exponent of the idea of originalism, that one could only understand the Constitution as meaning exactly what it meant when enacted in 1789, and no other interpretation or further understanding was allowed or even could, could not even be considered legitimate. Scalia would examine the history of the Constitution and its forerunning laws in the history of the common law of England and make a determination in his opinions as the historian that he considered himself to be. And he simply said, that's it. He'd often say things like, and I heard him say these things in some talks, my constitution is not a living constitution. It is a dead constitution set in stone at the time of its enactment. That was Scalia. And Breyer took him on in a full-throated way in this debate, very much in public. First, Breyer said uh, in his writings and his talks, there is no way to nail down one historically accurate meaning to many provisions of the Constitution. Different actors enacted and voted the way they did for different reasons. Now, sometimes the Constitution is very clear. Uh, if the provision that we're talking about says something like each state gets two senators, okay, sure, we know what that means. It's clear. But the court's examination of constitutional and common law history, often, Breyer said, were fool's errands. Uh, and what you had with Scalia and with Justice Thomas and even with Justice Souter, any of the justices who seem to think of themselves as historians, what you usually found is they were going back in history and cherry-picking the pieces of the history that they liked, which, voila, seemed to dovetail very nicely with their own beliefs 
and ideologies. And in the wake of decisions that featured that reasoning, I always recall seeing articles coming out, you know, and after that from actual historians saying, uh, I don't know what these th these guys think they're doing up there in the robes, but it ain't history and they got it all wrong. I wish I had a buck for every time I'd seen something like that. Breyer showed us uh, not just that he thought that this idea of originalism based on history uh, simply couldn't be resolved. He also argued very strongly in his own writings and lectures and in his books, books like Active Liberty and Making Our Democracy Work, that that idea that you could have only one interpretation was simply ridiculous. Uh, and uh, the Constitution was a document of general principles more than anything else. Uh, he asked us to observe just how many pronouncements in the Constitution and in the Bill of Rights were laying out general principles for the government to operate or were set in terms that simply had to be reinterpreted for the modern world. Now, when the Fourth Amendment, the search and seizure amendment says, for instance, that it protects persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches, could this really be limited just to literally papers? What about electronic documents, the contents of a smartphone, you name it? I mean, interpretation, he argued, was a built-in necessity if, as the framers wished, our republic was going to last a few years, as thankfully it has. His philosophy, again, very pragmatic and always with an eye to how it would affect the world and the people in it was, to me, the kind of wise and informed view that can make for a stable and generous country in which everybody can participate, in which all are recognized as having a role. Now, uh, who's going to be nominated to succeed Justice Breyer? Many good candidates' names have already surfaced. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that, particularly about President Biden's keeping his campaign promise that he was going to nominate a black woman. Uh, we'll see who it ends up being. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to discuss that, I am sure. But for now, good luck and thank you for your service. Justice Breyer, as you get ready to exit. For me, just my opinion, said the dude, for me, we need more like you. That's it, your news bonus on the retirement of Justice Breyer. You can always get our news bonuses and hear our full episodes by going to our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time.